The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the eye of the storm. Why one top Wall Street watcher says that's what stocks are in right now. You'll hear from him. We will debate the road ahead for your money. Joining me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone, Rob Seachin, Michael Farr, Joe Terranova, and Pete Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go to the wall. I'll show you where we're trading. 12 o'clock in the east. We're down across the board. Dow's bad for 223. S&P's down one half of 1%. NASDAQ's down by about 1%, barely hanging on to 14,000. There is the Russell 10-year note yield 204. So we're hanging out. Yields are, at least on the 10-year above 2%. We want to get right to our headliner, though, because he's making a big call today. He is Jonathan Krinsky, BTIG's chief market technician. Jonathan Krinsky, are you there? I'm here. Congratulations on your new gig. Uh, You have an eye-opening call, and it's good to have you back. You say we're in the eye of the storm, that things are going to get rocky again, and that a sub S&P 4000 is reasonable. Do tell. Yeah, thanks, Judge, and happy belated birthday to you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so I think the call here, we do see downside risk for the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100. But I think, you know, if we're looking for an analogy, I think looking back to the 2000 to 2002 bear market gives some clues. I think a lot of people think of that as this big major top where everything went down. And in fact, it wasn't the case. Um, for a two-year stretch from March of 2000 to 2002, the equal weight S&P was actually up 16%, even as the NASDAQ was down about 60%. So we think there's a, a call here that you're going to see some rotation, but the cap-weighted indices, S&P and NASDAQ, uh, are, are really where you're going to see the brunt of the weakness moving forward. Why are we so vulnerable to get sub-4,000? Because of what the Fed's going to do? Because what rates are going to continue to push higher, as I mentioned, top of the program. It's nothing new that we're above 2%, but we're holding there today. Yeah, I think, I think you have to look at it from a, from a macro lens, and the macro landscape is changing. We're seeing, you know, for us, the key breakout in interest rates is, is global in nature. And we've had five or six years of range-bound rates in Europe and Japan. We're now seeing breakouts in, in, in those uh, regions and U.S. rates both nominal and real rates are moving up as well. And so, um, you know, that's pressuring the long duration, high growth assets. You know, we're seeing it today with some single stock carnage under the, under the surface. We've also seen it over the last couple of months in some mega caps, Facebook and Netflix are, are two examples. And so, um, you know, the, the names that have been holding out, Apple, Microsoft, Google, they continue to be fewer and fewer. Um, and, and that's really, you know, what, what we're looking at. And if you look at an equally weighted basket of the top 10 names in the NASDAQ 100, they represent about 50% of the weight for the, for the NDX. Um, those have started to underperform the S&P on a relative basis over the last couple of months. So, you know, it, it's slow for now. Um, that's, you know, that's part of it. And then the other issue is credit, right? Credit markets, if you look at investment grade and high yield spreads, 
even as the S&P has bounced for the last two or three weeks off the lowest credit spreads, it actually continued to widen out. Um, and so that's really uh, a bit of a concern for us yeah. going forward. Yeah, I hear you on that. I mean, Santoli has, has been talking about the action in, in that area as well, not getting out of hand, of course, but nonetheless, those spreads are widening. So sit tight for me. Normally, I like to hear from the committee first. I like to get all of your views before we bring in our headline guests. But this call was so interesting that I wanted to get to it first, especially Joe Terranova, because it flies in the face of a call you made on this very program on February the 9th, where you said, quote, I'm calling an audible and assigning a much lower probability of a January low retest. You want to rethink that because of what Mr. Krinsky has put forward today, Joe? So. Let's say Jonathan's right. What I, will tear, what, what, what I would say if Jonathan's right is that I don't think in terms of price the market is going to get that far away from me if I am long into that sell-off. I think the market will recover. I don't think it's the beginning of a bear market. I also think that Jonathan is right about one piece. And since last Wednesday, it has been the S&P and the NASDAQ that has been under pressure. What I have made a very strong effort to do over the last couple of weeks is kind of rotate my position away from away from where I was previously, which was in growth names and technology. I'm underweight technology. I really only own NVIDIA, Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet. Now I've got this position in the IWM, and the IWM is in the same spot that it was when we spoke on last Wednesday. So it's owning the banks. It's owning biotechnology, it's owning real estate names, and it's owning the cyclicals. I think that's the right place to be. Um, If we go down, we test that low, I'm going to be wrong. But I think I'm going to be wrong in a capacity where the risk exposure that I have is going to be lessened. And I think that I will benefit because I think there will be ultimately a sharp V recovery. I don't think any retest is going to do extensive further price damage where you go down 10% and then you go down another 10% beyond that. I think the consumer and corporate environment is too strong. Okay. Uh, Carrie Firestone, who do you agree with? Well, I don't want to disagree with my friend Joe. Just disagree with him. If you, you, if you, go, if you want to disagree with him, just disagree with him. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't care. Let's, let's have a real he, conversation he makes, here. Come on. No, I, I think, yeah, I think, uh, okay. So I think that um, there are some good points that both have made. Yesterday, before I knew that we were going to be talking with Jonathan today, I ran some numbers about uh, PE multiples, which have done what my uh, two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter would say is collapsed and Kara put them together. If you just show what this looks like, this is last year, 12 months ago to today, you can see that the weighted average P of the S&P is down 32%. The equal weighted multiple is down, average multiple is down 19%. And so what Jonathan is pointing to is really this um, total revision about what multiples we pay for extremely high price stocks. And Joe alluded to that also. Those stocks are down anywhere from 25 to 75 percent. I mean, even Moderna, which I believe is still the best performing stock in 2021, is down 70 percent from its high. Many of these companies are still very good businesses with tremendous growth going forward. We don't own Moderna, but there's a price at which I would. And these stocks are approaching levels that anyone in this business who really looks at growth names and valuation 
has to start taking seriously because they've been in a bear market. They Anything that's down 20 percent, then uh, down 70 percent has got to be in that category. It's not the S&P, not NASDAQ. It's just this big group of names. So, yes, I think that there are potentially great values. Do we think there's a recession? No, the indications right now are not so. Demand is very strong on the consumer side, industrial side. Companies are flush with liquidity. Look at balance sheets. We're seeing the unemployment rate at 4%. The participation rate will start to improve because people are getting higher wages, and that's been an impediment. So I'm not sure that I agree with Jonathan on the recession scenario, but I do think that we have a bear market in many categories of stocks, but they're becoming attractive at the price where Joe is correct, that we'll start to see levels that are attractive. And if you have cash on the sidelines, you'll be wanting to use it. Okay. Pete Najarian, what are you doing today in the market? And how does that factor into which side of the conversation you come down on, whether you think that we're going to get a Krinsky retest, and I'm going to start calling it that from here forward, below 4,000 on the S&P 500, or if you don't think we're going to go down that low. I mean, I know Joe Terranova well, and I've known him for a long time, and I certainly did not get a sense that he has the same level of conviction in his call today that he did on February 9th. Now, he may argue with me on that, but I could tell he's a little unsure at the moment. (laughs) What about you, Pete? (laughs) <laughs> well, the, what's causing us to be a little bit more unsure, uh, rather than just focusing on, on the economy itself and everything, is really, quite honestly, Scott, I mean, we have been moving of late with the stories about the global. And I'm not talking about global economy. Obviously, I'm talking about Ukraine. That has been the catalyst, and it will mm-hmm. be the catalyst for a while. And we're going to all be watching that. But that has been the market mover, right? So I'm less concerned about the recessional side of things. Like, I don't see that quite that kind of a dip like Jonathan's looking for. I'm sort of more in in Joe's camp right now. I see a dip, there's no doubt, but I think you're going to get a dip from the right names too, right? I mean, when we look at the names that have really been absolutely hammered and pulling on the markets, it's because of everybody that piled in during the pandemic to those names that we talked about thousands of times, had no PEs or quadruple, you know, digit PEs. Those are the names that have absolutely been hammered, right? I mean, so across the board, whether you want to talk about it, you know, uh, any of these uh, Pelotons and Ubers and all these tech stocks that everybody loved, but all of a sudden now they're very nervous about holding on to these names. So I think that's where we're seeing the most, uh, you know, hemorrhaging in terms of the market. So I'm not as worried about that. I'm still dead focused on two areas, financials and energy. They've been great for me for a year. Mm -hmm. I think they'll continue to be that way, especially in the energy space. You know, right after the election is when we really made that turn. And since that time, oil has been nothing but up. And it was interesting, just yesterday, we started to see a bit of a pullback. We got underneath 90, and a a lot of the weak hands started to get out. Look where we are again today. I'm convinced that we'll see energy continue to move to the upside. I think $100 is not where we stop, but that's where we might find a base. And I think that's something that we're going to see in the not-too-distant future. So I continue to pile into energy names as well. So... I hear Krinsky make his call today. He's still with us. And, Jonathan, don't go anywhere because I'm going to come back and, and discuss this with you. I almost feel like some people are in denial about what might lie ahead for the market and wondering whether the market's in a bad predicament no matter what happens from, from here forward. Okay, let's say there's two choices here, right? The Fed either gets it right or wrong. 
They either can engineer a soft landing or, or they can't. They're either going to have to raise interest rates a ton of times, and then you raise the possibility of a hard landing, which is bad for stocks. And by the way, when I was at the Super Bowl, I spoke with one Wall Street CEO who said seven hikes minimum are coming this year. And that maybe we're got, we are going to get 50 in March. Is that going to be a good scenario for stocks? I don't think so. What about the alternative? The Fed gets it right. They can engineer a soft landing. To do that, though, don't they need to slow the economy substantially, which slows growth, which slows earnings, which slows the growth of stocks? Michael Farr, where am I wrong? I, I, don't, I don't know if there's a right or wrong there, Scott. You covered both sides fairly well. Um, I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of a different course here. Look, the, the Fed, every time the Fed has gone into a hiking stance historically, almost every time, sooner or later we hit recession, and on one side of the recession or the other, we hit a bear market. So uh, I don't know that it, I don't feel like a short-term call is for bear market, but certainly we've had, you know, just terrific years. 31% in the S&P for 2019, 18% in 2020, 28%. Is this market due for a correction? Sure. Monetary policy is changing. Our markets and our economy have been dependent on these low rates. Those low rates are changing. We don't know how much. But that these stocks will pull back makes sense. That the high flyers are going to come back makes sense. And the shift of value that we've seen, I think, is going to continue. So balance sheets matter. It's a stock picker's market. Earnings growth, cash flow, not too much debt. All of those things matter. And are we going to have a rough ride over the next couple of years? I think so. And I think it would not surprise me at all to see a recession at the second half of 2023. Because, I mean, both scenarios that I gave you isn't an either or in terms of stocks. It's an either no. or in terms of what the Fed is able to do. But under each scenario, it's potentially negative for stocks. If, even if they get it right, the Fed needs the economy to slow down. And they'll be damned. They don't care if the, 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 stock, mar the stock market's going to go down as a result of that. They care more about getting inflation under control and slowing and shrinking, if you will, the economy than they do the stock market. Rob Seachin going down. The other scenario is the plane crash, where they have to just raise rates a ton of times, and that sends the economy into a recession, and we know what happens to the stock market if that happens. And again, at least seven rate hikes. That's one predictor that I heard at, at the Super Bowl, a big name who I'm not going to no. reveal, but at least that was their point of view. Well, you know, Scott, we've been saying that the Fed's buying the curve and they need to tighten rates because the biggest risk to the economy, which is the most important thing, is frankly inflation. You're hearing that in basically every survey from business executives and consumer uh, consumers that are taken out there. So I think they view that as a massive threat to this global economic recovery and dealing with that's really important. You know, what, what squares the circle for me in listening to everybody that's, that's spoken today is, you know, we're not that different. We're all on the same side of, of the boat. Um, you know, I know you say Joe and Jonathan are in different places, but as I look at the notes I took, what they're saying is fundamentals matter, stock selection matters, long duration assets in a rising rate environment, which we all agree on, are gonna be under some pressure. 
because the construction of the index is mostly comprised of long duration assets uh, because the U.S. Is a, is, is a growth market. But let's not lose sight of the fact that the last nine times the Fed embarked on a tightening cycle, equities did well. I think what we have to do, <clears throat> excuse me, is get through this period of transition and that's going to take that's going to take some time. So short term, I think everybody again is right. We're going to see lots of volatility, but in the intermediate term, we still have a a, a place where the economy is going to be growing. It's going to be growing pretty rapidly, supported by the consumer if we deal with inflation and we have negative real rates still. Because no even if rates go up a bit, when you when you consider the level of inflation that we have, even if it moderates, rates are going to be negative, and that takes you to a place where there is no alternative to stocks. So, what type of stocks do you want to own? What? You want to own cyclical and value is stocks. Cash, is cash not a, not an alternative to stocks? I go back to what Dan Niles said on, on the air a week or so ago, which I brought up that very day, and I've brought up a couple of times since. You mentioned everybody being on the same side of the boat. Well, what's the name of the boat? Denial? <laughs> Does it say denial on the back? Because I well, don't, well, well, you, you suggest well, that stocks go up in a rising rate environment or the Fed embarking well, on this. If you, if, you look at, if you look at history, they in fact do. Huh. It's a question of when the Fed does too much. Okay, the Fed right now has to act responsibly. What if I think the Fed, we can all agree. What if the Fed does seven hikes? What, what if the Fed does seven plus hikes? Can, are stocks going to go up in that environment? Let me tell you something. If it's data dependent, it's because of huge economic growth. I, first off, mm-hmm. I think the Fed dealing with demand when it's a supply issue is not something they're going to be over aggressive on. Okay, Scott? There's we no have other a way to slow the economy down. Inflation. What do you mean? There's no other way to shrink or slow the economy. They have to deal with demand, right? Continued demand, escalating demand when you have supply Scott, issues Scott. only adds to the inflation fire. Right. They have to deal and, with that. And, and here's what's happening in the marketplace today. You have Russia getting ready to invade the Ukraine. That could be a huge inflation issue, too, because neon gas comes mainly out of you, the Ukraine. It's a main ingredient in producing semis. We're going to have further supply issues. So I don't I don't care what they're doing on the demand side. We are still going to have supply issues, which are ultimately going to open up. I'm not a raging bull. I'm telling you we're going to have turmoil here in the short run and lots of volatility. But I think that's not going to change the economic trajectory over the intermediate term. Okay. And it's not going to change the fact that interest rates are still, even after seven hikes, going to be negative on a real basis. Jonathan Sorry, Krinsky. you're moving into stocks. Jonathan Krinsky, I've kept you on hold. I wanted you to listen to what everybody had to say, and now I'd like you to have the last word on that part of the debate. Yeah, I think the point's being made about how stock industry and, and selection matters, and that was the point I let off the top of the show with. Um, you can have a market where the S&P 500 cap-weighted index goes down meaningfully or moderately, and there's a lot of stocks that actually do okay in that environment. Um, I think just just wrapping it up here, taking a step back from a long-term perspective, you know, when you think about the S&P, is it oversold or not? If you look at the S&P 
relative to its 200-week moving average, and again, we talk a lot about, a lot about the 200-day moving average, but the 200-week moving average, it's still 30% above its 200-week moving average. In the last 20 years, that's still in the top 10% of all spreads we've, we've witnessed. And so we've come down a decent amount. I think you have to be careful about saying things are, are overdone on the cap-weighted index. But, um, you know, as, as uh, other folks have been mentioning, look at those, at those uh, value cyclical areas, you know, financials, metals and mining. Those, those areas I think will do okay even if, uh, if tech struggles here. Congratulations again on your new gig. I look forward to having you back. Thank you, Scott. All right, that's Jonathan Krinsky um, joining us. It's not like we didn't discuss this kind of stuff with Jeffrey Gunlock out in Los Angeles on Friday. The idea of whether the Fed can manufacture a soft landing, that is the hope. That's the bet among those who are bullish the market. Does he think that's going to happen? Here's what he said. I've never seen it happen before. I mean, every time you get into this sort of an environment, uh, you start to hear people talking about this time it's different. And I, I'm hearing that a little bit now already. You know, well, rates are still really low, so it doesn't matter. I heard somebody who is a mortgage broker on a radio program yesterday talking about how who cares if rates are up? They're, they're, they're still really low. But that's that's really a bad analysis. I mean, when rates go up, it, it has an impact. So I think I think the Fed's going to have to raise rates more than the market still thinks. I, I think we're now priced ultimately for a terminal Fed funds rate of around one and a half, maybe one and three quarters. My suspicion is they're going to keep raising rates until something breaks, which is always the case. Which is why I come back to you, Joe Terranova, and say that he's saying that there are an awful lot of people in the boat called denial. So, I, listen, everyone's had excellent points. And I'm just going to back, go back to something that Pete said. Pete spoke about the, the, the global headwinds we have right now. And the market right now is, is, is absolutely in the eye of the storm. Because we don't have clarity surrounding Ukraine. We don't have clarity regarding the Federal Reserve. And a lot of the challenges, the complexity for the Federal Reserve is inflation is out of control. And a lot of that inflation being out of control resides in policy. It resides in a lot of policies uh, surrounding energy as it relates to decarbonization. So, uh, yes, I think Jeffrey's right. But I'll tell you this, Scott. Uh, th- this is, is this is somewhat depressing because we're suggesting that stocks are in for a long malaise or the stock market is in for a long malaise. I, I disagree with that. I will be reacting. I will be reacting if stocks move lower. Since I last saw you, I got stopped out of Adobe. I got stopped out of AMD. I didn't like that I did. They're great companies. But I'm reacting and I'm managing my risk. But when I've got corporate profit margins expanding further into record territory in this quarter, slightly below 13 percent, guess what? In the last year, and I pulled this up right now as we're talking, the last year, here are the headlines. Here are the articles that have been written. This is no longer our grandparents' or parents' stock market. First-generation investors are teaching their parents about stocks. Millennials now know best about the stock market. Guess what? The stock market is returning to your grandparents' stock market. It's about fundamentals. It's about quality. It's not about these high flyers. And the high flyers, they're going to have an L-shaped recovery. And if that's where you want to be, you're going to experience the, depress- the depressing malaise that this seems to be suggesting. If you're going to trade up and go into quality and focus on fundamentals, I think in the long run you're going to be okay. Malaise is an interesting word because even by both scenarios which I laid out, 
it doesn't necessarily mean that stocks are in for a huge downdraft. It just might mean that they don't go up for a while as the market figures all this out. Doesn't necessarily mean the, the worst case scenario by, by any stretch. Pete Nigerian, I look at some of your moves today, and they suggest somebody who's more positive than not on the market bought new calls in AMD, Apple, and Tesla. That's got to say something. Yep. Yeah, well, uh, and I'll tell you, for sure, going to Tesla itself, that one was really interesting, Scott, because, you know, that, that is a barometer I've been using for the NASDAQ. And it, whether they're in, in positive territory or negative territory, that seems to be the leader. So I've been staring at that name every single day. And we had huge call buying in there. That actually is what triggered for me to get jump back in there. It actually reacted almost immediately, and I've already trimmed some. So just... You know, so you, you fully understand how fast this thing moved. It was trading underneath 900, and the next thing you know, it was up, what, towards 930 or something like that. Those options absolutely exploded to the upside. So, again, trading the options right now, particularly on some of these names where maybe that's a high multiple or whatever, I'm sure going to be in those types of trades. AMD is another great example. I think the semiconductors are in a very, very volatile space, of course, right now, but we've seen nothing but positive uh, uh, inflections in terms of what we're seeing in, in my world of the derivatives world. We've seen it in NVIDIA. I know Joe owns that one. I think you'd be happy to know that we've seen bullish buying in, in that name, bullish buying in AMD, bullish buying in Micron. You go across the board. Those types of names in the semiconductor space have been seeing that. Now, they've had great days and they've had slower days, but I continue to be much more aggressive on that side. But when it comes to buying stocks, that's, not, that's a completely different thing. The stocks that I own are solid companies that have absolutely fortress-type, you know, when you look at the fundamentals, that's what I'm looking for. So from an ownership standpoint, that's that side. The other side, it is a tradable market. We are seeing the ups and downs every single day. I mean, just take a look at yesterday what the NASDAQ did, right? I mean, it was a monstrous day the way it moved. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you come into today. So it's really basically based upon what the global no the news is. Joe defined that very nicely. And, and I'll tell you, I still think it's a very tradable market on that side of things and an investable market on the names that actually have given us what they should have and did deliver for earnings itself. Okay, so you mentioned Tesla. It's a, I mean, look, a lot of those high-flying stocks have gotten shellacked. Pete, do you know who's on the program tomorrow, which we just lined up as an exclusive and we're super no. excited about? You don't have any guesses? <laughs> Tesla? Elon? No. <laughs> no that would be good. That would be good. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy Wood, though, she's good. CEO of ARK Invest. She's with us tomorrow. It's an exclusive. We're going to go through everything. We'll talk Tesla. We'll talk about her book. We'll talk about the book of stocks. We'll talk about what she thinks about the landscape. I mean, she's had to take some arrows recently, too, and we're going to get her to respond to the critics who question her strategy as they look at the fact that her stocks have come down so much and wonder if that strategy just mm. is not going to work anymore. And we'll ask her directly about that. Coming up, shares of Paramount, they're plunging today. Farmer Jim, he owns it. We're going to find out what he's doing with the stock next because he is going to be with us. That's an ugly, ugly chart, ugly board. Plus, check out the mystery chart. It's up over 10% since the start of the year. Now a bullish call is on the street today. Joe Terranova also likes it. We'll give you that trade next.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. I'm Frank Holland. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. More signs that the nation is preparing for life after the pandemic. At a White House COVID-19 response team press briefing this morning, response coordinators say we're moving towards a time when COVID is no longer a crisis, but a manageable illness. Meanwhile, Coachella and Stagecoach Music Festivals are dropping all COVID-related restrictions for this year's events. Shortly after the dates were announced last year, organizers dropped mandatory vaccination requirements for festival goers that could provide proof of a negative test. Tune into the news tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern for the latest on which companies and cities are dropping their mask mandates. The U.S. is going through its worst mega drought in at least 1,200 years. Yes, 1,200. The research from Columbia University shows soil moisture over the past two decades in the southwest is the driest it's been since at least 800 A.D., with the drought showing no signs of letting up. And the death toll from the devastating mudslides and floods that swept through parts of Rio de Janeiro has reached 44, according to local authorities. The number of casualties is expected to rise as searchers continue picking through that wreckage. That's the very latest. Scott, back over to you. All right, Frankie, I appreciate that. Thank you, Frank Holland. All right, shares of Paramount, formerly Viacom CBS, plunging today on the company's earnings, its outlook, and that rebranding. Farmer Jim Labenthal joins us now. As you know, he owns a stock. He was optimistic going into the print yesterday. Now he has a little bit of egg on his face, maybe some omelet on his suit, because those shares today are getting absolutely shellacked, Jim. Shellacked, schmeistered, whatever word you want to use. You know, yesterday on the show, Scott, what I said was, for me, this is all about the subscriber counts. That's what I'm paying attention to. Now, on that front, subscriber additions were well above expectations last quarter. Most importantly, the guidance uh, two years forward, they raised guidance for subscriber counts and revenues from uh, streaming by 50%. So 2024, they think they're going to have 100 million subscribers. They're going to have 9 billion in revenue from that. If I just do an apples to apples versus Netflix on a per subscriber count, that would mean in two years they're going to have a market cap of around 85 billion, which is roughly five times what it is today. So you're, of course, going to ask, why the heck is the stock down? And I'm not going to lie. I wasn't going to ask that. I was going to I was going to say. Do you think it's Netflix? What? Yeah. 
Scott? What? Yeah. I, no, no, no. This is not something that you should guffaw at. And you and I have a history of me charging up hills. Sometimes I die on those hills. A lot of times I don't. This is a hill I'm willing to charge up. This is a, con a company that, like Netflix, has a very meaningful subscriber base. Unlike Netflix, it's growing much more rapidly than Netflix, the subscriber base. The content is fabulous, Scott. And, I, you know, I'll put that up against Netflix content anytime you okay. want. 1883, Yellowstone, the various legacy programs. So, you know, today the stock is getting shellacked, schmeistered, whatever you want to call it. And that apparently is on the fact that they missed their earnings for the fourth quarter of last year. Maybe it's because they have to spend a little bit in order to build their subscriber base. A little you know bit? What? A little Whoa. bit? I, yeah. I read some of the projections that they're going to spend whatever, like three times, two to three times what they're spending now minimum. A They've little got bit. the money for it, Scott. They've got the money for it. They've got $6.3 billion in cash. They did a billion of free cash flow last year. They're going to be free cash flow positive in each of the next two years. This is not a broken story. And you, again, you and I have a history of me charging up some hills and me dying on them. I'm telling you, this isn't one of Jim, those. Jim, th this isn't a matter of whether they are free cash flow positive or... What their EBITDA is, it's a matter of growing yes, it. it. It's a matter. Is. No, 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 no. It's a matter of how much they can grow it. And those they're, are the real concerns as to why the stock is down. How much they're going to have to spend on the content. And I was going to ask you before, when you made all these lofty projections about their subscribers, like it was the second coming of Netflix, how do you think they're going to get those, Jim? How are they going to get those subscribers? I just explained to you that they're going to spend and that, that they have the cash and the cash flows to do it. And by the way, these are not my lofty projections. These are the company's projections, which basically, Scott, call for doubling the basically doubling the subscriber count over the next two years. They so far have exceeded all guidance that they have previously put out for their subscriber growth, all guidance. So why would I start doubting them now? Uh, just because the stock's down, I don't follow what the stock market does for any stock on a day on a day by day basis. Well, that's not this true. This is a company with a good track record. That's not Scott. true because you looked at the decline today in Viacom. I mean, Paramount, and you bought more. So obviously, of you I do. Did. Of course, you're funny, Scott. You're trying to catch me on something, and no. I'm being pretty consistent. I, I'm being pretty I'm consistent not, in what I'm saying. I'm not. That this Jim. is a quality company that is growing well above its peers. With cash on the balance sheet, cash flows growing, of course I'm going to buy that. I'm not trying to catch you in anything. You're making a uber bull case on a stock that's down 22%. It pisses me off, Scott. It pisses me off. Not you, the stock, obviously. Well, I probably No, I like too, our banter. But... I, enjoy, I enjoy our banter. It's good. You take yeah, the other side. You push me. It's good. But as you push me, what you're hearing me do is not back down from this story, and I'm not going to. Maybe you... Uh... Maybe you joined the boat that I mentioned earlier in the program. It has a specific name on the back, and it's called Denial. Jim, I appreciate <laughs> it. You're always stand-up about it. I mean, I'll give you credit for that, right? There's listen, always two listen, sides. Listen, just just so just, everybody's clear, yeah. I like our banter. I really do like our banter. I'm a little pissed off today because the stock just shouldn't be down 22%. Okay. you got to understand, if I'm punchy, that's why. I'll take the other side. Um, if for no other reason than to extend the conversation. All right, Jim, I appreciate it very much. Good. Thanks, right. Scott. Yeah, you bet. 
All right, up next on Halftime, Pete's latest unusual activity trades. Plus, all February, we're celebrating black history and featuring members of CNBC's Financial Advisor Council. Here is Ivory Johnson on how he believes our country can empower the black community financially. Our country can empower the African-American community financially by enforcing the basic tenets of capitalism. We like equal access to capital and the ability to enforce the terms of a contract in an equitable judicial system. We don't need a leg up. Life is hard for everybody. We just like a fair fight. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. It's time for Unusual Activity. Pete Nigerian, what do you see today? All right, so we're going to start with some biotech. Now, a stock that's actually suffered a little bit in the last couple of months is Gilead, Scott. That stock has gone down significantly, actually, where it was about a year ago. So today, they're buying about 9,000 of the April 65 calls in there, going for about $1.12. Pretty aggressive buying there. They're capping those off, getting a little bit of premium by selling the 72.5 calls against those 65 calls just to make it a little less money that they're putting out there. That was an interesting trade for me. But I think the most interesting one by far I'm going to give you now. I talked about energy earlier, right? In Devon, back in January, we had a monstrous buyer in Devon Energy. They were buying the April 50 calls. They're selling those calls today, 30,000 of them, and rolling up. They actually bought over 52,000 of the April 60 calls. And so looking for even a little bit more. Devin was trading about 54 and a half at the time of this, this purchase. They paid about $2.40. Really big, really aggressive, and still wanting to be in the trade. Those are the trades that I've been following, as I said, since basically November 2020. They just continue to see, hit across our boards. The last one I'll give you is Macy. Now, the interesting one, thing about this one is this is a Tepper name. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting one because of the fact that He's, he's got uh, a position in here, which is interesting because this is a company that's really struggled, obviously, as we all know, e-commerce, everybody trying to push towards that. They still got the bricks and mortar. Huge short interest here as well. And yet they're buying the March 33 calls, maybe looking for a little bit of a squeeze. 13,000 of those calls were bought today, Scott, for about 60 cents. So those are the trifecta today. Yeah, we learned from his 13F, he increased his position uh, in Macy's by about 44%, of course. You never know exactly what's current, but we'll take it for what it is, at least for this moment. Pete, Pete, thank you. We have more moves from our investment committee coming up. Their latest buys and sells. We have some from Kerry, from Michael Farr, from Rob Seachin. You need to hear the names that they are either buying or selling. We'll go through those. We'll do it next. All right, let's go through some more investment committee moves. As I said, Kerry, I'm going to start with you first. Lidos Holdings, LDOS. You sold it. Why? 
Well, it's a cheap stop, but it's a defense and government contractor. That part of the market has not been acting well. We thought we could use the cash and deploy it in other ways, as we did when we sold some Sherwin Thermo Fisher and, um, and Blackstone recently. So it just adds to the cash position and... Uh, and so we just think we can find better places. Michael Farr, you bought PayPal. Uh, speaking of stocks that have really gotten hammered, why this one now? Yeah. Because of that very fact? Well, uh, yeah, basically. I mean, here you have a stock down 65%. It's got a solid balance sheet. It's in a fintech, very interesting space. We're really just kind of starting to nibble, maybe establish a position here. But ex-eBay, which has caused it a big problem, uh, 20% grower for the next couple of years. I think it's a decent place to start buying something that everybody else hates. Okay. Rob Seachin, um, you added to Lind, Pfizer, and J.P. Morgan. Mm-hmm. And sold Rockwell Automation. Yeah, I know that. It. I didn't get to that one yet. But thank you very much. I'm, I mean, I had that on I'm, my chart. We try and go in order here, Rob. I know sometimes you can't help yourself, but why don't you take the first three first? Take the first three first. First three first. Three first. Uh, Lynn, one of the largest natural gas companies in the world, really tied to the reopening story because of its inputs for many consumer discretionary products, uh, industrial products, tech products like semiconductors. Um, you know, the government just told, basically, the White House told tech companies last week to shore up their semiconductor supply chains, and we think Lynn benefits there. Um, Pfizer, a cheap stock, it's underperformed year-to-date. It's cheap to the S&P, it's cheap to the, the healthcare index, um, and they have a line of products that's incredibly effective in the COVID landscape. And then J.P. Morgan, um, you know, they had some higher expenses that were near-term headwind, and we think that higher spend is going to translate to market share gains as it's done historically. So we we added to that. You got to wait. Um, to, you got to wait to shoot the ball, Rob, until I give it to you in the right position, right? You're not just going to like heave it up like with three people on you. you that's, wait. Not, that's not what I do, Scott. It, it, my point guard's a little temperamental today. Yeah, well. <laughs> a long, long weekend. Long well, weekend. Yeah, I hear you. But when 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 the shooters aren't following what the point guard's doing, we we got a problem on the floor. Uh, Rockwell Automation, you sold it. Now tell us why. Well, this is more a quantitative screen, so uh, not not a, not a lot from a from a from a business standpoint. Some of what uh, what Kari said, Kerry said, and uh, you know, we think that uh, we made a lot of money in the name, wanted to create some cash, and so we just dialed back the position. It also wasn't a huge position. I got you. We got a quick hook on this show, man. You get benched if you don't follow the offense. <laughs> I right. want to do that. We're coming back after this. Short <laughs> sellers are in the crosshairs. We've got some details on who and why. It's an explosive new story next. Interesting developing story. Short sellers in the crosshairs of federal prosecutors. Leslie Picker following the money has the latest developments for us. Some well-known names too, Les. Well-known names, and as you point out, it is a developing story. The Justice Department is currently in the information-gathering stage of a wide-ranging probe into short-seller practices. I spoke with a source familiar with the matter who said Money Waters' Carson Block is among several investors that have been served with a search warrant to review phones and other forms of private communication as part of this probe. At this stage, it appears that the process is more advanced with so-called 
activist short sellers, those who bet against a stock and then publish negative research about the company explaining their bearish thesis. However, the investigation is quite broad, looking into more than 25 investors, including those that are not activist in nature, but simply go long and short in certain names without publicizing their positions, essentially just a regular equity hedge fund. Short selling, of course, is not illegal, nor is the practice of publishing research about one's positioning. However, the Wall Street Journal is reporting and reported earlier today that the uh, Justice Department is interested in whether short sellers were engaging in spoofing. This involves fake orders used to try and pump up or, in this case, crash a stock price. The DOJ is also looking into instances where activist short sellers close out their positions without disclosing that they have done so. It is my understanding that no charges have been made at this time and the investigation is clearly ongoing. Short sellers have been defending their practice by saying that their research can root out corporate fraud and malfeasance. Scott. Which, which, I mean, they have made that argument for as long as as I can, you know, remember. Um, Leslie, thank you. I I appreciate the Mm -hmm. update on the story. I don't know how many of you on the show today actually short stocks from from time to time. Um, Joe, you, you want to take an opinion on on just the mere fact that investigators are looking at this practice and perhaps some of the more nefarious forms of it, because you can easily sit here and defend the tactics of short sellers um, as well for the very reason that Leslie ended her report on and the fact that they have from time to time rooted out serious fraud that might otherwise have gone uncovered. Absolutely. And it's a classic example of regulators always feeling the need to respond to something uh, that that occurs in the market. And I think a lot of this is a response to what was witnessed in Q1 of 2021 as it relates to the do-it-yourself stock trading craze. So, um, But they're, they're, without question, of the very nature of short selling in some regards is advantageous to revealing some of the fundamental flaws that exist in companies. I mean, even if you're not, you know, revealing a a, a fraud, not every short case, carry has to be a fraud. It can just be a company that's trading way beyond what the fundamentals suggest that it should be. Yeah, I think that the nature of short selling is one that that just opens itself to inquiry just because, you know, they're betting against the grain. You know, it's it's part of the market system. Uh, you don't always have to believe that stocks are going up, but because they want to take away from the value of stocks that other people hold, mm-hmm. um, there's, you know, th- there's always going to be the question about whether they're using, um, it, you know, insider information or other tactics in which that they can get their job done. So, you know, I, I, I think this is just a natural progression. And we saw so much wild okay. trading in 2021. Right. We, it, it makes sense. OK, we're going to take a break. Final trades are next. Another reminder not to miss our halftime exclusive interview with Kathy Wood, the CEO of ARK Invest tomorrow right here, noon Eastern. Final trade time, 30 seconds left for what we have. Pete Najera and you first names only, please. Patterson Energy. I'm a buyer. Carrie. Wab Tech. All right. Michael Farr. Ross Stores. Rob Seachin. AutoZone. Joey T., the man with the ETF. Northrop Grumman. I own it. All right. Good stuff. I appreciate that. Let's take one last check 
of the markets, too. We're down across the board. Dow down by more than 275 points. I appreciate you watching the program. That does it for us. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.